So as most of you guys know, this summer, myself and Ali Monroy, our head of video over here at DNVR, we took a class at MSU Denver online. We went back to school this summer and both of us had an awesome experience. The biggest thing that probably stands out to me about MSU Denver Online is the teachers. So responsive, so engaging. You really feel like the teachers at MSU Denver Online want you to succeed. No matter what type of student you are, if you're somebody like me who was just popping in to take a class that summer and isn't necessarily working towards a degree right now, maybe you are working towards a degree. Uh, maybe you're going back to school after not being in classes for a couple years. Maybe you're a first-time freshman. Whatever type of student you are, MSU Denver Online is going to cater to your needs and do everything in their power to help you succeed. That's why I really enjoyed my experience with MSU Denver Online. If you want more information, if you want to check out classes, go to msudenver.edu backslash online. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Adam Matas. I'm joined by Brendan Vogt. How are you doing, fellas? And Harrison Wind. Good to be with you guys. This is a regular um, episode of the show, although it's going to be very irregular in terms of content, but it's just in terms of, you know, getting our weekly uh, episodes out. We took yesterday off as, in my opinion, it was a moving situation. We, and, and not just moving in terms of, you know, wanting to get all of the details that were coming out for what players wanted to say, what they wanted to be known and this or that, but also just what was going to happen. We didn't know. There was a moment last night. We didn't know if the league was canceled or not. And so had we, and we knew that the players and owners were both meeting this morning. So had we done a show last night, the, by the time most people would have heard it, the details would have changed. So we wanted to get out a show today and kind of talk about this and go over all of the various layers and then really just open up dialogues about, about all the different moving parts of this. So um, we want to get into that today. Again, our show is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use promo code DNVR. Download the app. You can gamble on sports um, if you're in Colorado. Um, so going into this here, I think it's important to kind of just start, guys, with a timeline of events and just talk about this. So a week ago, a man named Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, was uh, the police were called because there was a complaint from his girlfriend saying that he had arrived at the property without and she wanted him gone. He wasn't invited to be there, what, what have you. The police arrive. There's some sort of altercation. He does not listen to the police orders, enters to his, his car unarmed, and then is shot by police seven, seven times in the back. Um, the video goes viral. The um, players spoke about this. People spoke about this prior to the NBA's um, strike that began yesterday. This had sort of been a growing sort of uh, addition to the social movement that is going on in this country now for years, but really in, in intensity over the last four or five months. And one of the key components of the NBA restarting this bubble was we don't want to take attention off of the social movement going on in this country about police brutality against people of color. There were also in, in that there have been protests and riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin. There have been militia members who have come in to sort of protect property in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I'm trying to give the full, the full scope here of, of everything of going on. Um, one militia member, one, I, I think at this moment, we know that he has an affiliation with militia, shows up with a semi-automatic weapon, a 17-year-old, and ends up firing and killing two protesters, wounding another. There was some altercation or some something that led to, 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 to that happening. That man was not apprehended. He went back home to Illinois. He was not from Wisconsin, goes back to Illinois where he was arrested. So those are all of the details that took place between last week and yesterday 
which led to the Milwaukee Bucks arriving to their game. They were the first game of the day. And by the way, there was talk about this. Would the players form a protest? Would they, the word that was thrown around, including used by the Milwaukee Bucks themselves, was a boycott? Would they boycott the game? I think people have, I think, rightfully made the distinction that what is going on right now is more of a strike. And the reason for that is that the NBA players are labor in this situation. It's important to sort of distinct, uh, make the distinction about where the power, different power structures are. But for all intents and purposes, yesterday they announced it as a boycott of the game, meaning they were going to show up but not play. So that brings us up to speed. Am I, are, we, are we caught up at least in the what of, of what happened? Or is there anything I should add, guys? I just think about, was it 48 hours ago, we started hearing quotes from the Bucks and the Raptors that sort of set the stage for this. Yeah. You mentioned this, but right. this, this conversation was happening prior to the, the Bucks mm-hmm. decision. Yeah. yeah. And I should say before we move forward, you know, my sincere hope here in this conversation, I mean, why are we having this? A couple of different reasons. Number one, I hope that people of all political leanings stay to this one. I know that oftentimes when we have these conversations, they feel, you know, exclusive or this or that. We have one of our goals at DNVR is to create an environment where we bring people together and there's progress made. We all sort of learn from these experiences and that it's a unifying uh, sort of sort of force here. That doesn't mean that there is a like all opinions here are correct perspective. I mean, I think we all have very strong convictions about these things, but I do want it to be a thing where everybody's invited at the table to hear this portion of the conversation. And then we are, of course, open to hear. Um, we, we really want true progress made in, in, in whatever circumstances uh, you know, are arising right now that we feel we can have an impact on. But okay, so here we go. Milwaukee Bucks get to the arena and they don't come out for warmups. They don't mm-hmm. come out for the game. The clock strikes zero. And the Orlando Magic, who have no idea what's going on, nobody in the NBA who has any idea what's going on, they go back to their locker room and officially, well, I guess not officially, but technically we have a forfeit, right? The Milwaukee Bucks did not show up. Media is waiting outside the Milwaukee Bucks locker room. They're not responding. There's no information about what's going on. Little details trickle out. Okay, they're on the phone with the Wisconsin Attorney General, but there's no nobody. It doesn't seem that anybody else in the NBA, including the other teams, knew that this was a um, that the, the players were going to strike in this instance. First of all, let me take you to this. To me, I thought that was actually powerful, and I understand why players. And one of the stories that came out later on was that the players, other teams, LeBron James, perhaps Chris Paul, people who have influence in the NBA Players Association, didn't know about this. I felt like there was some power behind nobody knowing there being no reports. This wasn't reported at 11 o'clock in the morning that, Oh, by the way, later tonight, there's going to be a strike. This was a thing that made, it was like a Twitter moment where everybody starts buzzing. Cause they're like, yo, the bucks play in five minutes and they haven't come out of their locker room. There was power in that. And, and I think, you know, everything, there are so many protests and marches happening right now and they're planned. I mean, you know about them, you right. wake up and you plan your day around them and people are figuring out how to bake this into the, their, their day-to-day lives. The reporting even leading up to this was ambiguous. I mean, right. the, the fa- so I think there was a lot of power in all of us having to watch just yeah. to even know. Um, and if their, their goal was to have you know, as many eyes and ears as on that as possible, I think going about it the way they did in that regard um, was probably the right decision. Yeah, I agree. Um, I thought it was courageous. It, it took guts. Like, that's a tough thing to do. Um, I think back to the very first game inside the bubble where they played the national anthem, and I think it was the Pelicans and Jazz might have been who they were playing. Um, but everybody was like, 
what is what are teams going to do during the national anthem? Are they going to kneel? Are going to they going to uh, put some other message across? And they decide to kneel, and every other team followed suit. Right. That took guts for New Orleans and Utah to be the first two teams to do that. Right. And uh, for Milwaukee to just kind of go in there as a lone wolf and protest uh, this latest shooting by the police by not playing, uh, that was courageous, I, I thought. And obviously, it set off the ripple effects throughout the league. But um, I, I give them a lot of credit. And uh, we obviously know it's personal to them. I mean, Sterling Brown was a victim of police brutality uh, not that long ago. Um, So, and I think another player on the Bucks had another situation. John John Henson. John Henson. John Henson, yeah. So, this was personal to them. It's obviously also personal because they're from the state where this latest tragedy occurred. And I I thought it was courageous. It took a lot of guts to do what they did. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but I, um, I understand how they're feeling being locked inside a bubble while this all goes on the outside world and they're protected. Yeah. You know, they can identify with these people, but they're protected where they are right now. So I think your point about it, taking courage, you know, whether you agree or disagree, if you can just remove your emotion from that, if you're a person that disagrees, if you can just remove that for a moment, your perspective on the matter, the courage it takes to do this when really there's no, no certainty for what the consequences are we're going to be this both from within people on their side and we're going to soon talk about there were people on their side that were unhappy with how they dealt with it and then of course an enormous amount of people that are against them probably not NBA watchers but people that pretend that oh now I'm done with the NBA or whatever but they knew they were going to get a lot of backlash maybe even take a financial hit all and not only that but put themselves at the spotlight it's difficult to put yourself in the at the forefront of a very complex topic so the fact that they were collectively willing to make that decision I think um what however you feel about it takes guts um so then we go on to the Houston Rockets arrive who by or the Oklahoma City and Houston Rockets arrive who oh by the way have Chris Paul very important figure with the players association him they showed up and then very quickly left the arena like okay how do you follow and play now after they you did that like, yeah. and maybe they wanted to protest any I don't know but we, right. we won't know LeBron James same thing later that night the NBA actually very very shortly after the NBA canceled the games and why this is important a couple of reasons. One, the collective bargaining agreement has a statement in there that says if you are, once we have agreed to terms, once we've collectively agreed between the owners and the players, once we've agreed on terms, you can't breach those. And protesting a game, striking a game or whatever breaches that. So the NBA was immediately placed in a position where they had to decide, do we enforce this or do we at least hold on to it in our back pocket or not? And they almost immediately relinquished it and said, okay, we cancel these games. So this is not actually technically a boycott or protest or a strike this is instead we are going to just say there's no games and then they eventually said no games for thursday either so the nba wanting to work with the players i believe at least in this instance and the owners wanting to work with the players to try to figure out some solution to get the season to be to re, to, to be brought back the players gathered last night some 200 strong uh inside the bubble like an enormous amount i can't imagine what this what a scene that like. must have what been. a scene it must have been i mean this is inside historic, the guys. bubble right they're having the conference room Right. There haven't there hasn't been a strike like this in the NBA for 50 years. This is I mean, it's pretty unprecedented. So they all get together and we learn, as I think we would expect, that players all have different differing perspectives on this and how they're how it is meant to be handled. And 
we're told it was a contentious meeting at points. We're told that some people didn't want there to be, and I understand this, a unified front, meaning if the Milwaukee Bucks were planning to do this, why didn't they let the heads of the NBA Players Association know so that the whole, you know, everybody acting together could have made it, you know, could have done something. They wanted to know what is a resolution. Because I think some of this is you want to make a stand, you want to make a statement to say, hey, we don't, you know, we don't like what's going on. We're not going to allow it. But then to say, okay, well, what is the next step? What is what directly are you asking for? There was discussion about that very thing. And it ended apparently pretty um, abruptly with the Clippers and Lakers all walking out of the meeting, basically apparently voting or saying in an informal sort of poll sort of way, saying we want the season to end. I was very surprised by that. I think as it's evolved now, we've – I think it's fair to suspect that that was probably as much a leverage play as anything. The threat of LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard leaving the bubble and ending the whole season, that sort of made the urgency for the NBA, the owners, to all come together and figure something out. That was my read on last night. Again, I just want to stop and see where you guys are at with the details so far. Yeah, and well, we know LeBron's goal in this was to sort of get ownership involved so that this isn't all just – falling on the players. So in that sense, the leverage play with Kawhi to walk away, like if those two guys are going to walk away, everyone in, in this association has to listen. Right. So, right. Um, and, and it does seem like I should, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We you know this morning LeBron changed his mind. Chris Haynes was reporting. Right. And obviously the players agreed to start the season, but yeah, I do think it was a leverage play. And I think it was, you know, the, I think what we've already seen was it the Houston Rockets are going to open the Toyota center as a, as a right. voting center. Right. Um, and so the Bucks, we should note, while they were um, not going out onto the floor for that game, they were in the locker room on a conference call with the AG. Right. Um, and and so there's they're trying to make a push here for more than just a statement, but something concrete. Right. Uh, so that should also be noted, I think. Yeah, and and something I was coming back to yesterday, it's like these players want to play, like you think these guys have been down inside the bubble for 50 days and, you know, like suddenly just want to leave. No, they want to play, but what's going on outside of the bubble is such a momentous event. And what's going on throughout the country is such an just has uh, ramifications like beyond what anybody can think about right now that they're willing to put aside playing basketball to commit themselves to a larger goal. And I think just like stepping back and thinking about that is crazy. Like they've already committed 50 days to being inside this thing and they're willing to walk out or maybe willing to walk out and just have nothing to show for it. That's wild. And that means a lot. If you guys are looking to pick up some beer this week, maybe you got some big plans this weekend, socially distant, of course, make sure to pick up some Breck brews. And if you're looking to switch it up on the type of Breck brew you're drinking, check out the Avalanche Amber. You know, maybe you're not a super IPA guy. Maybe you're not into the sours or uh, the lighter beers. The Avalanche Amber is like that perfect in between. It tastes especially good if you're watching an Avs game uh, this weekend, but the Avalanche Amber, an ultra-reliable beer from Breck Brew. That's good for any occasion. Like I said, if you're watching an Avs game, maybe at a sports bar, maybe at the DNVR bar. If you're out at a park, having a park day, Avalanche Amber, a great beer for that occasion as well. You can always pick up Breck Brew at any liquor store. And if you don't know where a liquor store is that carries Breck Brew, they have their Breck Brew beer locator on their website as well. 
Also guys, I am here to tell you that there are 100 million reasons why you should listen up. DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy sports is celebrating the return of sports by giving away up to, wait for it, this is a real number. They're giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner who will take home a $1 million cash prize. To claim your share of up to $100 million in instant giveaways, all you have to do is download the app and sign up using promo code DNVR, then enter DraftKings' free football survivor pool. You guys know how a survivor pool works. Super simple. You've probably been in one before. DraftKings is putting one on. And like I said, you can get a share of $100 million in instant giveaways. It's that easy to do. Uh, like I said, all you have to do to claim your share and put yourself in the running to win a $1 million cash prize is download the app and sign up using promo code DNVR. Make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for the $1 million cash top prize. That's no joke. DraftKings is giving away a $1 million cash top prize. That's promo code DNVR to get your share of the $100 million in prizes only at DraftKings. Of course, must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. To kind of move the timeline forward now into today, there was a meeting scheduled for, I believe, 11 o'clock with the Board of Governors. That's a fancy way of saying owners. The NBA is trying to not say owners anymore, so Board of okay. Governors. And then the players also had a meeting this morning, and I thought it was really weird because before the Board of Governors meeting was ended, the NBA players had basically said, We'll get back to playing now. So before there was ever a formal and official sort of rebuttal, you know, you know, the owner saying, okay, what is it you want? We're going to do this or that. The players basically said, we're going to get back to it. And now it appears as though we don't actually know. I don't think the exact date and times, but it looks like basketball will resume either Friday, unlikely, most likely Saturday, meaning the nuggets would play on Sunday. Um, and that kind of brings us up to date. Now, I think there are, as you mentioned, Brendan, I think, and we can relate to this, I think, as being media members and in this moment, because we've had a lot of moments over the last four or five months where we're thinking, it doesn't feel right, including today. It doesn't feel right. Like our job is to talk about basketball. Well, how do we just hit record and start talking about basketball? I have a million really interesting notes about game six that I can't wait to share down the road, but sharing them right now, it it feels weird. And I think the players feel exactly that. The my role in society, primary role, is as an entertainer, as this basketball player is doing this. But it, there are moments in time, and we've had a lot of them lately, where it feels almost silly to say, I have to stick to my role in society. I have to stick to this thing. Maybe what I'm doing feels counterproductive, actually, in some cases. And I think that is the sort of internal battle that so many players, coaches, and, and members of the NBA are feeling in this moment, augmented by the fact that they're in this crazy bubble in Orlando somewhere. And I think the number one goal for the players was they were worried about this torn between using their platform, being in front of the cameras and the microphones and distracting folks. And and just speaking personally for myself, as a white man, I've been trying to figure out every day, how do I bake this stuff into my day-to-day life so that I'm not just reacting to tragedy, but, but right. walking, walking the walk as an ally. Just to keep it 100 about me, this is not a statement about the right or wrong thing. The second basketball came back, I snapped back into basketball mode because that's my job. I mean, my mind went to a lot of places on my own time, but to a certain extent, 
it was a bit of a distraction. And every time a player spoke up post game, I was reminded, you know? And and so for me, there was power in that when they said, Hey, like we didn't want to distract people and it happened again. And we have to answer these questions again. And so for me, it was a bit of a wake up call that, look, I want basketball to happen. I love it. I cover it for a living, but I don't know. For me, it was a wake up call that, that this is bigger than basketball and that at any point it may seem to them like, this has gotten away from them just by being there uh, and that maybe they are causing a distraction. And so any sort of responsibility that any individual um, sort of black man might feel in that situation, like I can't, that that's their reaction. Right. And they get all the space to react to that. However they need, including walking away if that's what it comes down to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And um, I empathize with them um, for, for having those feelings. Like you were saying vote where, Yes, like we're dedicating these Zoom conferences to talking about Breonna Taylor and some of these events that have happened. We're wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. We have Black Lives Matter on the court. Yes, I don't think anybody went into the bubble thinking, oh, if we do those things, we're suddenly going to cure police brutality. No, of course not. Um, But I can empathize with them that they're doing all this. They're keeping the message where it needs to be. But still, it's not that nothing's changed. It's almost like it's getting worse, you know, and, and they're cooped up in this bubble. They can't leave. Nobody can get in. They're protected. They're not living the life that, um, look, this league is black. They're not living the life that black people in this country live outside yeah. the bubble. And uh, they're on their phones. They're watching TV um, as this latest tragedy happens in Milwaukee as a 17-year-old gunman goes in and kills right. two protesters and then is allowed to drive across state lines and sleep in his own bed before he's arrested. Um, they're seeing the news filter out of the Republican national <clears throat> convention about the fear mongering and how they're putting the message forward that we're the ones under attack. And they're sitting there and saying, no, like my people are under attack. Right. This is getting yeah. worse while we're sitting here and doing nothing. Um, and so I totally empathize with those feelings um, that they've had. Exactly. How do you reconcile that? I think it was four years to the day yesterday that Colin Kaepernick kneeled for the first time. And I know folks feel differently about that. But if you if you do listen to or read his comments, he's adamant that he is not protesting um, necessarily his own oppression as someone with a great amount of resources right, and, and right. someone who's been paid handsomely and is a, and is a lucky person. He was speaking on behalf of those who look like him, but don't have those privileges. And I think if you're a, a black basketball player, I would imagine, I, I of course have no idea that you have to feel some sort of internal conflict in that moment of, of look like we're, as Harrison said, we're almost like in the bubble protected safe and, and getting paid handsomely um, as Millions of black Americans have to walk that walk in their daily lives. Another example, and I think one of the things that you're seeing with the NBA specifically over the last decade is this realization of the players and where they belong in the power structure of the NBA and trying to change that power structure a little bit. And one example of this, I think, is a little on the nose. Right now, Luka Doncic has on the back of his jersey, Inako Provonost, which is means, I believe, peace in Slovenian. Um, and because this was a concession that the NBA made saying, oh, you're coming into the bubble. We want you to have Black Lives Matter. But in this very narrow way, choose from these right. words on the back and you can say this thing or that. And I think now that we're here, you know, six weeks in or whatever, we, to me, I, maybe people feel differently about it. To me, 
multiple players having the same thing on the back, them being these caged, you can only say this or that. It just all feels silly to me. It feels a little hollow. It feels a little empty. And I think the NBA and the players knowing like, look, this is a, this is a, uh, an entity. The NBA is, is a, a business. There are businesses with all these different moving parts. It's hard to get real meaningful action, especially in short order, what have you. But when something like this, the last week sort of occurs and your only method of sort of you know, protest or, or speaking on this is some of these like silly little phrases you can put on the back. I think this is part of the NBA being we're here. We didn't want the message to be taken off of what we feel to be a very important movement, social movement in the NBA, but we're left with just hollow gestures and it sucks. And I think part of what happened last night mm -hmm. to me symbolically, as much as anything is the player saying, and we've seen this for 10 years from a free agency standpoint about players saying, actually, we have more power. You guys trade us without warning and you know, you do this or that. Now we can take that power back and and use that yeah. and leverage our own free agency as as the sort of chip that we can lean on you. I think it's happening this way as well and saying, oh, the owners allowed us to say Black Lives Matter on the back of our jersey, allowed us to say these cage freedom, but you don't actually mean what we mean when we talk about social change and so many of you have the opportunity to do so yes. and i think symbolically creating the strike was putting the nba and the ownership groups on their heels and saying you think you run this thing you need to get on our level and if you're not if you don't agree with the values that we're telling you are so important to us and to our communities then we're going to lean on you and put pressure on you and i thought nobody came out and said that but I, to me, that's what yesterday symbolizes as much as anything. There's a lot of owners. There's the DeVos family that has a cabinet position in the Trump administration. We, will, we of course, know a lot of the players very anti what Trump stands for and feel like he has fueled the racial division and, um, you know, police brutality. So they, they feel this way. And I think this is their way of saying, we no longer are going to let you have the power. We are willing to sacrifice enormous amounts in order to to sort of hold you accountable the way we want to, we want you to be held accountable. And, and also I think taking it back, I mean, there's a lot of corporate protest right now. Like you say, yeah. you mentioned that comes up empty. Corporate so. activism. Corporate yeah. activism. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, so, yeah. so for the players to, in a sense, to me, this was the realest it ever got, you know, the most substantive. No, th this is player empowerment, right? <laughs> like th this is really player empowerment. I mean, I agree with what you guys said. Like they ha have realized coming down here and how they've been able to do some things that they've wanted to do when it comes to racial justice, like black lives matter on the court. Um, they they've realized that, that in the times that we're in, they do have the power and yeah. um yeah, it, it's been interesting to watch. So I want to talk about that power specifically, but first I want to bring the the this the scale of this the scope of this back even further to kind of see the whole thing because I know there are going to be people I've seen them in my mentions the last few days that have said, "Oh well, um, Jacob Blake, he isn't a perfect symbol. You know, he has this he has charges under his belt. He was there. You know, the police were called on him because he was a threat. This or that. There may have been a knife. What have you." I think what NBA players are saying this, and this is the last example. And I think what the entire movement is about is it's all of it. This is, this is a thing that we have to see time and time again, that black people are treated differently than police. And so the, when I see people saying these things in my mentions, my response is, does it matter in this exact instance? And are you saying that there isn't a bigger problem? And when I, we, and I, I make this point because now we talk about what change can come out of this. Well, Tillman Fertitta, 
um, is the chairman of the House Police Foundation or Houston Police Foundation. In addition to being incredibly wealthy, he also has a direct line and also maybe a, you know, a, you know, is, is helping fund in, in different aspects of the Houston Police Department. Of course, he has an, an enormous amount of influence in how police policing can change in this country. Um, in, in addition to just that, I see a lot of people saying, oh, they have a lot of money. They've donated to this campaign or that campaign. Money does do a lot, but influence even more so. And I think that's what the players are saying. We the superstars of the league have committed some over, over time, I think more so than any era since maybe the civil rights movement, these athletes have said, we have all this money. We want to start schools. We want to do, we want to be in, involved with philanthropy. Not all of them. I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I think more so than certainly in the nineties and two thousands. And so you have this idea of, Hey, we have a responsibility, but we, in this example, are labor, the ownership class, you guys actually have the biggest sort of ability to affect change and again to me this is what symbolically this is all about the players finally saying we have enough power that if you don't get with it we're going to lean on you in ways that they're probably not prepared for especially in this moment of sort of economic uncertainty and how does that change the way the nba operates too i mean thinking about tv deals too everything is so long it's like a long-term deal with lots of money and i just wonder if, if just on a general note there's a more conservative kind of play, like as the league starts to recognize that they're at the whim of the players who can literally just not show up and play um, or, or who knows what kind of pressure they can apply. Like how does that uh, impact the way they're negotiating um, all around? Yeah. Like I, I really do wonder what would happen if the Orlando magic players, if um, you know, somebody on the magic went to, uh, their GM and said, we're not playing as long as the DeVos family owns this team because they are actively uh, right. going against what we stand for. I mean, there was just a Harvard study in June that uh, black people are three times more likely to, as white people to be killed in a police encounter. Um, so I, I wonder if Spur, what Spurs, the Spurs would do if Spurs players went up to their owner and said, we're not playing for you um, until you sell the team because you donate money to the Trump organization. So, and, and it's not just, I mean, the DeVos are the easy targets here, but there are plenty of others, including your own Stan Kroenke, who donated to Trump's inaugural um, campaign, right? But to help launch it when it was first launching five years ago. So I think this, all of these things are now on the table for 10 years ago, LeBron James forced forced his way out <laughs> he made the radical decision to change teams as a free agent and it just felt so weird it was a watershed moment because it was like oh wow he didn't tell anybody and then he went somewhere else this is crazy 10 years later those elements have evolved so much that there's all these other types of players forcing the way out maybe they still have time on their contract it was a, an awakening to you have this leverage that maybe isn't explicit in terms of your contract but you can use your leverage to get other things out of it to me, this feels similar to that. The players just learned that they broke their contract in a way that was very powerful, very meaningful, but also just we're not going back. Players now know they have this leverage, and maybe it's not a full-on strike, but maybe there is something to Harrison, like you mentioned. How many players can strike against their ownership group before the owner is forced to do something? I mean, you can find players, you can do this or that, but say the Nuggets protested Stan Kroenke, something Stan Kroenke did, and sat out a game and just didn't play and didn't let anybody know. The NBA tries to punish them. Well, then what if all the teams join and say, hey, you can't punish them because we agree with them. And now this is the thing. Right. Well, we realize they now have a power to say, 
we're all in this together and we need and we want you if not to have the same values you can't be so diametrically opposed to our values or we can't coexist yeah and i mean you saw that when uh this all happened yesterday and the milwaukee bucks were protesting their game and sure enough the nba said nope we are just postponing all three games today yep no exactly that that's exactly what you're talking about so where we go from here, I really don't know. Um, you know, politics, I know people, there was the whole stick to sports movement. And I think over the last year, the idea of sports and politics being separate is just no more. And I don't think that's going back. These things intertwine. I do personally feel like there's a responsibility for sports on occasion to be an escape. In fact, I would say frequently to be an escape. But there are moments in, in time when that's no longer possible. And that, to me, this is certainly one, not just because the story today is the strike, not the basketball, not the X's and O's. It is the strike, but also just moments in society where it's like, Hey, we all have to collectively sort of look inward and look at each other and discover the different ways to move forward. And I hope, I don't know if anybody's listening to this now 30 minutes in that hasn't, you know, at least been on the same page politically as the three of us or socially or whatever as the three of us. But if there are, you know, this is an opportunity, I think, for people to listen more than anything. We can disagree about the degree of this. We could disagree about how guilty uh, this person is in this scenario or whatever. What I think we can't disagree with, where I think there's the starting point, and I think it's the most important thing, you see Doc Rivers come out tearfully, give an emotional speech that I highly recommend everybody talk about, just saying how much this, you know, um, how difficult it is raising children where you have to teach them, hey, we have to be careful around cops because we're presumed guilty in a way that's dangerous. When you start to hear all of these stories, and it's not one person, it's time and time and time and time again, whatever you think of the specifics of this movement yes. or whatever, there is a broader point that I think has to be agreed upon as an American society, or we can't move on and figure out the solution. And that is that when so many people are telling you, hey, it's not like your experience, that these are the problems that we run into. I think the onus is on everyone to listen and to try to understand and empathize. Yeah. If you don't know, if you find yourself not understanding, which at times I do, that's a sign. That's a sign that you, that you are in the group that probably should take a step back and listen. Um, because they're look, we always speak about any sort of community in these broad terms as if it's some sort of board, right? Whether that's black Americans or players. Um, and I don't, there's just like myriad opinions, um, across that board so uh it's just sort of difficult sort of taking a step back and, and giving everyone the space to process it the way they need to yeah um that was tough listening to what doc Rivers said the other yeah, day real tough. Th- that was tough i don't know if you guys caught what chris weber said but yeah. um he was breaking down uh, emotionally just talking about what's been happening like do you think those people want to have those conversations no that's tough to put yourself in that spot but it's something that they have to do right now. And um, I would agree with what you said, Vote. We have to listen to them. We have to listen to black people because, yes, obviously three privileged white people will never be able to put ourselves in their shoes, but we also should not be telling them how to think and how to act. Right, right. And, and one other note on that, Miles Brown, who I love as much as anybody, had this great comment last night where he said as much as he appreciated Doc and Chris Weber and Sam Mitchell, and these people that had a lot to say in these tearful moments, he said, how many t- more times do we have to do this before all we're doing is just reveling in the pain? And I do feel like we're almost getting to that point where we've had so many of these moments where people have shared these moments. It's now, how many more times do they have to say this before we sort of collectively go, okay, there's an issue here 
And can we at least all agree and get on the get on the same plane to say, let's figure out how to make this better. And at a certain point, now we're at a certain point that I think is coming up very soon. We're just exploiting that pain anymore of like, oh, this must read article, you have to read it or this watch this video because it's so tearful. At some point, it just becomes, um, you know, <laughs> just just we're just reveling in that pain. And, and that's the thing. If you guys want to get in on the tournaments that we do every weekend on WGT World Golf Tour, it's super easy to get involved. You can go up against me, Adam, Vote, all of the staff here at DNVR. You can go up against fellow DNVR members in the community. Just download WGT World Golf Tour from dnvrgolf.com. Search for the DNVR Three Country Club. We've already got three country clubs pretty much filled up with DNVR members that compete in weekly tournaments on WGT. It's super fun when you're not playing in these tournaments with us. There's 20 million people online that you can play with. You can do close to the pin challenges. You can play Pebble Beach. You can play St. Andrews, all the classic courses. So it's a lot of fun. Download WGT from dnvrgolf.com. Search for the DNVR3 Country Club. And also, guys, remember that you can get 20% off Strava Craft Coffee when you use the code DNVR20 online at StravaCraftCoffee.com. You can also subscribe and save 20% with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. Everybody's got subscriptions. If you're listening to this, you probably have a subscription or a membership to DNVR. If you don't, you should get on board. We know a bunch of you have taken advantage of the one-time code with Strava, and now you can save 20% off of your favorite coffee forever, forever and ever. You'll never have to put your credit card info in again with this Strava Craft Coffee subscription. So subscribe and save 20% with that subscription. Enter promo code DNVR20 if you haven't used that offer already for 20% off your first order. You can get your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks with that subscription. And of course, Strava Craft Coffee is packed with CBD. It can help relieve long-term migraines, back pain, a ton of other issues as well. Remember, purchase online for 20% off using the code DNVR20 or subscribe and save 20% off of every order. So I think now it's just about where do, where does this go from here? And I think um, we saw that the NBA is often the first to do something of this nature. We saw last night baseball games were postponed. Um, not all, but many. We saw that the NHL today has come out and said, okay, we're going to take a day off and sort of stand and, and, and make this stand. And I think it's that to me was as powerful as anything was seeing outside. Cause let's be honest guys, the NBA bubble is much more left leaning than yeah. most other sports to see it happen in baseball, to see it happen in hockey. You say, okay, this is where it's reaching to other people that are saying like, maybe you're a person that's sitting at home, you're insulated in your own social media bubbles, your Facebook memes and all this stuff. And you've only ever seen the one perspective. I think it reaching into these other sort of avenues and being like, wow, players are so upset about this that they're willing to take the stand and not just basketball, but baseball and hockey too. I hope that that has the impact that they hope that the players are hoping that it does. I don't know if it will or won't um, in, in today's society. You never know how things are going to be broken and spun and received. But um, I thought it was really interesting and powerful just that it crossed into other aspects and other sports. Now, going forward, you know, this bubble is going to try to wrap up. And when I say wrap up, we're only halfway through. I mean, the bubble actually, it's crazy to think, but we're not even through the first round of the playoffs yet. We have second, third, and fourth round of the playoffs yet to go. Um, you know, 
we thought going into this, okay, how do we keep coronavirus out? The NBA has done a fantastic job of that and made all these strides in terms of developing a new test. Um, now you have to think, is this going to happen again? I mean, how, how frequently are we having a big sort of viral incident that, you know, that happens? I mean, to me, the NBA is going to be in a very uncomfortable spot, I think, until this thing wraps up. And then, by the way, the next season's supposed to begin next year, and it's probably going to have some form of bubble nest to it as well, at least at the start. So my question, where do we go from here? Man, it's a, that's a, is it a billion-dollar question at this point? It yeah, it is. It really be, literally right? is. Literally is, yep. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think this postseason finishes. But I, I think there's a larger question here that, like, for more than one reason, that we sort of, whether we as the, the media, the, the board of governors, the league itself, I don't know if they can bank on a, in a full season going the way that, you know, they'd like or right, expect right. next year. And, and at this point, um, going forward. And, and look, let's not forget, there was conversation. I believe Kyrie Irving started this conversation about an alternative league, an alternate league altogether. I mean, that's a very far-fetched concept, I think, in terms of practic- practic- pra- practically speaking. But if there's enough momentum behind this, and if the Board of Governors don't step up in the way players sort of see fit over the years to come, I mean, the NBA should be feeling in a, in a very precarious spot right now. Like I said 10 years ago, the idea of a player having his own agency, not his own agent, his own agency – was absurd and LeBron has gone from leaving Cleveland to creating his own agency group five years ago six years I mean how long ago was it that Donald Sterling was taken out I think it was 2015 to it might have been 2015 it might have been the was it the Warriors? it was before the Warriors first run so I think it was 2014 so you go back to 2014 Donald Sterling was a player or was a was an owner who everybody knew was racist Right. Everybody just knew it. He would have the players over. He would go into the he would bring women in the locker room to look at them as if they were show ponies. He would throw these elaborate parties where he would treat them like I mean, it was very well known that Donald Sterling was this to say that in six years we've gone from that to now players are saying, hey, we can look at who you're donating money to and lean on you this way. That That's what I mean to, to me. Where we go this year, I think this bubble's going to wrap up. I think the Nuggets will get back on Sunday and hopefully can advance and, and keep doing that. We can talk about that in a second. But I think the bubble's going to go on. But I think everybody that owns an NBA team has to be looking around right now and saying, do I want a part of this? Because do my values align with the players? And if not, I'm going to be called out at some point in some right. way. And the, that, that's the thing that to me is so interesting about this moment is I feel like the power dynamics has totally shifted with NBA ownership. Yeah, I think there's going to be a big moment coming after we get through this bubble, if we get through this bubble, before next season where the players and the owners are going to have to talk about the CBA. And if the CBA gets ripped up, if a new one has to be negotiated, and it's going to be an opportunity, I think, for the players to put some language in there, you know, whether it's uh, stipulations on – Um, owners that are allowed in the league, stipulations on uh, minority candidates in front offices, um, stipulations on a lot what the league has to do uh, when it comes to social justice reform that the players can put in there that I think could potentially shape the league for years and decades to come. Um, So I I think that will be big if, you know, if we get through this bubbling to that point. Yeah. 
Um, anything else? I guess we could just talk about the Nuggets now and that they had momentum in a series. Um, the last four days, five days between when they played on Tuesday, when they play again on Sunday, to me, it feels like, I mean, this all, be, this all comes secondary, but it is worth noting that there's still basketball going on and Denver's back is against the wall. They're down three games to two. I feel like it's a whole new series now. I mean, in addition to having all that time off, I mean, who knows, does Gary Harris come back? Players reevaluate strategy, the emotional. I think there's an emotional give and take in a series where it's like, okay, they've got us on our heels. Now we strike back. I think that's all gone. It almost just feels like Denver is now in that play-in series where they have to win two. Utah has to win one. And it's just, it's like a whole new series with different things. Do you guys feel the same way? Yeah, totally. Um, it like when unarmed black people get shot by cops, I feel so angry. I just feel so like there's just this wave of um, sadness that comes over me. And uh, I can't even imagine what it feels to be a black person uh, to see this go on and what those emotions must be like. And I've got to think for a lot of these players, we saw it with some of their tweets. We saw it with some of the reporting that's come out. There's just so much anger right now. And of course it's understandable. So I think just getting in a mental space to play these games, it was already a huge challenge going into the bubble without family, without friends, while there's a worldwide pandemic going on. It was already a challenge to focus on basketball. But I I mean, now to put that anger aside and focus on basketball, it's going to be even tougher. Um, So this is an incredible challenge. It's even a tougher challenge for these players and coaches and personnel who, who we never talk about. We only and, talk and, about the players. But And by the way, they've been inside this bubble now for 55 days. Like yeah, I, right. I, I think this is all coming together. And look, I know people have said, oh, I'm not going to feel bad. They're in a five-star result, this or that. I, it's still the matter that, you know, Will Barton said this on a podcast. It's not that you can just walk around the campus. There's specific times you're allowed to go to eat. There's specific times the golf course is available for you. You got to rent time to do this or that. Everything is so structured and segmented that it really is. I, I can imagine it getting very tiring over time where it's, oh, today's it's 3 to 5 p.m. This is my window to eat. Well, I'm not hungry, but it doesn't matter. I have to eat now because I just can imagine it wears on you. All of the stresses, being away from family, you know, whatever. So, I think there's a lot of tension. I think this season and the way the playoffs are going to play out from this point going forward, I just think it's going to be, there's going to be so much variance in the play that I I just don't know that it can be accounted for. And certainly with our analysis, I think we're going to have to factor all that in when we going forward, as we say, like what, what can reasonably be expected from players? Yes. It was, it was a huge wake up call for me in terms of sort of motivations and how grading this experience would be. You know, I fall into that trap of assuming once these athletes are out there on the court or on the field, that they're in that mode of just competing. And that may be the case for a lot of them, but this is a holistic experience for those in the bubble. It is not just on the court. And it does seem like, I mean, we're seeing quotes that there are players that just don't want to be there. Yeah, um, totally. And, and and like, we're, we're talking all about the emotional weight and potential dynamics of feeling responsibility just with regards to social justice when the pandemic is is still looming large so and who knows who's feeling what type of way physically so i think i certainly underestimated um 
I, I guess all of the other factors going into like evaluating how people are performing right now. Yeah. Well, it looks like the Nuggets will be back on Sunday. We don't have official word yet. Of course, keep it locked to DNVR. We'll let you know as soon as those detail emerges. Those details emerge. And then again, over the weekend at some point, maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's Saturday. I'll have another podcast with the notebook notes because I have a lot of them from game five. I thought game five was the most interesting game in the series. At some point soon, we'll get back to that. Um, but today it would be, I think, both irresponsible and just out of place to go back to basketball when the storyline is all the other things that are happening in the NBA. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, we'll see you again next time. If you guys have never tried the rich CBD infused Strava Craft coffee, you can use code DMVR20 right now to save 20% off of your first order. If you've already tried Strava Craft Coffee, if you're already a huge fan, you can now save 20% off by heading to their website and subscribing. You have the option of getting your coffee every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. 20% off any product that you are subscribing to. So hit them up, StravaCraftCoffee.com. The promo code is the same, DMVR20. You can get a subscription to Strava Craft Coffee, you're probably saving money in the long term if you're a habitual coffee drinker like I am. Of course, it's packed with CBD. It can help cure long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, a ton of other issues as well. You can sign up anytime and cancel anytime, no strings attached. Use code DNVR20 to save 20% off of your subscription at StravaCraftCoffee.com.